0: Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on LitHub Radio, episode 135, Sabrina. Today we read and discuss the first graphic novel to be long-listed for the Booker Prize. Sabrina by Nick Dernasso. follows a group of characters associated with a murder victim named Sabrina. And, making this a very timely piece, the story focuses less on the facts of the murder and more on the conspiracy theories and false information that spreads throughout the news cycle. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel.
2: Hello. Hey, Mr. Strong. How you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm um, gearing up for the holidays. It feels like it should already be over, but it's just
2: started. Uh, yes. I, uh, I've been gearing up for the holidays by doing something very specific. You guys want to know what it is? Of course. Yes, please. I've been laying in bed watching Springsteen on Broadway all <laughs> day long.
0: Isn't it amazing?
2: <laughs> I have watched all two and a half hours of Springsteen on Broadway five times. Yeah. Five times.
0: Wow. I was right to text you when I was watching. Yes, I'm like in the middle of watching, and I'm like, Todd needs to see this. Todd needs to see this.
2: <laughs> I I had been uh, away for ten days teaching at my MFA residency, and I'd literally been home for like ninety minutes when you texted me, and I was like, Well, I should probably stop talking to my wife for the first time in ten days and cry while yeah. Bruce and Patty sing "Brilliant Disguise." Aww. Oh my god, it's it's so good. I've seen him in concert. So I cried within the
0: first song. He's the best.
2: You, he is the best. Does, so when you've seen him like in a big show, Julia, does he do these sort of intimate stories or is that just a function of the Broadway show?
1: Um, I haven't seen the special, so I can't
0: um, speak. It's, I'm pretty sure it's a function of the... His, yeah. his shows are usually big stadium Huge. shows. Except for like when he tours, he toured for Ghost of Tom Joad in the 90s and it was just him and his guitar and he talked a lot. And then he did basically this our version of this for vh1 storytellers which is right right right. i loved vh1 storytellers all those episodes like that tom waits did an episode it's incredible and this is like for me this is just the dream concert you know Mm -hmm. i as such a a lyrics obsessed person in the singer-songwriter tradition i love you know when a songwriter is willing to talk about why they wrote a song and um and to introduce it and and to make make you reconsider the lyrics in light of sort of you know the background behind it or and in this case like he's doing like performance poetry half the time it's like half storytelling half like performance poetry and right. then his songs and when he gets to the song he set it up so perfectly that it just rips your heart out when you realize how much thought and emotion went into each one of these things that he's written that you, that you may have already known you know right the, the song that you already liked and now you just like it has so much more meaning and background to it, it and he, even more alive
2: there are parts where he's I mean, it's, it, he's clearly reading from a teleprompter and it's stuff that he wrote originally in, um, in his biography that mm. came out or his autobiography rather that came out, um, a couple years ago. Oh, I did. It was a great book. Actually, it's, it's a, it's a great book as a fan, but then it's also a great book because you can read it. And if you're a professional writer, you can be like, well, you know, the one thing I got on Bruce Springsteen. I'm a little bit better of a prose writer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How many celebrity memoirs have you read that aren't that way?
2: Come on. Yeah, but you know what?
0: I'm going to give him credit. His stage presence is unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Like, it is better than, but I mean, even more, like, I knew he could perform as far as, like, with him in a guitar, but him talking in front of this audience is at once so intimate and relaxed and in control and still performative. It's like an impossible combination. It, it, he's an incredible presence. It's, I wouldn't call it acting ability, but there's something to his presence that is profound. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And I, I haven't seen, like, when I watch other. Uh, you know, performers do something like a one man show like this. It just doesn't quite, but this feels so honest.
2: Yeah. Like, it feels really intimate wonderful. because, and the way it's shot, I, I saw someone complaining about how it was shot sort of like a stand up comedy routine, but I actually kind of like that because it gets so close to his face, which is not something that you really see. You know, you see him as full body, you see him playing guitar in shows or concert videos or whatever, but to see like, the crags in his face or to see his eyes well up when he's telling a story really adds to the authenticity of the stories. But then of course, you know, he says something really amazing, um, during the course of the show, which is that he wrote racing in the streets, for instance, before he knew how to drive a car. And he spent his entire career talking about the factory worker and he's never stepped foot inside of a factory. Um, and, you know, he's, he's talking about... up front. He says, yeah. basically,
0: I'm a con. That's yeah. how he starts the show. It's like, I'm a showman. This has all been, you know,
2: this is I've all my act. Yeah, something.
0: Yeah. this is all an act. It's a magic trick is what he says. Yeah. So right.
2: And he said it before in his lyrics. Like there's a I think it's in uh, Better Days. He says a rich man wearing a poor man's shirt. And it's true. You know, like the guy's worth a trillion dollars and he walks around and beat, beat up denim shirts or whatever. But. I think what's remarkable about the show and about the stories that he tells is that he doesn't need to have been a factory worker to absorb the pain and the malaise of a dying factory town, to be able to look at his father and see his father's depression and then will that down to a character in a song. I mean, that's what we all do as, as writers, mm-hmm. you know, like we we take a look at society or whatever and we we turn it into some sort of um, digestible bit of entertainment. But there's this one moment, I mean, there's a lot of them, but there's this one moment when he tells the story of his father coming to see him. And uh, they sit down for morning beers, as uh, Bruce says, because he's that kind of guy. And his dad says to him, you've been really good to us. And Bruce admits, "I, I had been really good to them. And then his father says, But I wasn't very good to you. Mm. And it's just like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go outside and I'm gonna cry until I throw up. And then, <laughs> and, then I'll, and then I'll be back for you to sing that song.
0: The way he the way he reworks the songs too is really incredible. Like each one, he slows them down, he changes them up on piano and mm-hmm. guitar, and like Thunder Road. Oh, and, so good. You know, he he does Thunder Road, which he's 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 been doing like a slow acoustic version of this for years, but at the end of this version he turns it into a lullaby yeah mm-hmm. and, like he starts going la, la, la and he starts mm-hmm. singing the melody with these la la las and you realize it's like this sad cuz he he sets it up by talking about how you know, the desire to get out of his hometown was always kind of a joke. It's like, because you always have to go back and, and he lives 10 minutes from his yeah. hometown now. <laughs> right. And he's like, so, you know, he's talking about this sort of contradiction of like this young man who write, writing these songs about like getting the hell out of, you know, Jersey. And then he becomes Mr. Jersey. And I, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic. So the, the when you're watching this, what, 65, 70 year old man sing this song, this so clearly a 20 year old song, and, uh, you know, a 20 year old person song and then turn it into a lullaby, like this sad, like bygone thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just ripped my I'm going to watch so it good.
1: immediately after this.
2: Woo-hoo. You really should. And it's, it's two and a half hours long. So like there's an, there's a time investment that you have to make as well. And although the songs sort of go linearly through his career, he dips and dabs, you know, born in the USA comes at a strange time. But for me, the absolute highlight is him singing um, Brilliant Disguise with uh, his wife, Patty, because that's a song that he wrote um, essentially when he was cheating on his first wife, Julian Phillips, with Patty. Um, Yeah, which is gross. But then he has talked over the years, and he talks about it in in the movie as well, about how a song's meanings change Mm. as the person who sings it changes as well mm. um and i found that to be very, very powerful mm. anyway it's yeah. totally worth two and a half hours and um and it's probably the, be the best movie yeah it might be the best movie <laughs> of the year might be the best <laughs> novel Seriously, of the year. i think
0: i haven't seen roma yet which i hear is unbelievable but um i you know netflix is really going big this year and yeah gonna, this could have been released in theaters uh, easily and it's yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's um, very cool. Right, very cool. Let's uh, let's move on to actual books. Show. Hey, I wish you do hey, that. Uh... Yeah. All right. So, the graphic novel Sabrina was published in May of 2018 to rave reviews. Um, the title character Sabrina is a is a woman who goes missing and the book in, instead centers on three characters from her life, Sabrina's sister Sandra, her boyfriend Teddy, and then Teddy's childhood friend, Calvin, who's an airman going through a divorce, um, and he lets Teddy stay at his house. Uh, fairly early on in the story, a video of Sabrina being murdered is released to the public by her killer, and, um, and then her killer's body is found. So the news cycle goes crazy, and eventually theories begin to emerge that the whole murder was staged, and that our main characters are crisis actors perpetuating a lie on the american people um i think that's pretty much great summary what <laughs> yeah so what, that's uh, the book. what did you guys think julia you want to go first
1: sure um i picked this book randomly off a list because um, it's been so long since we've read a graphic novel and when i i went into it so cold i was just like okay this is supposed to be good page one uh which is just the best way to start any book or movie or in this case piece of art. Um and I was just so riveted by how much how many of these panels were about silence and mm-hmm. especially the boyfriend, what was his it's been a while. What's the boyfriend's Teddy, name again? Teddy. Okay. Teddy's, you know, sitting alone in a room in a home that isn't his, not knowing what to do with himself and deciding to listen to this conspiracy theory radio and all this stuff. And how little of this novel is spoken words or even thoughts of the characters and how much of it is just zoomed in on them. So isolated. Um, So I loved it. Of course. I think it's like, obviously great. I don't know what a complaint about this could be other than maybe people might think it's boring, but instead I found it like, (laughs) like, incredibly depressing and profound and a big thinker because these thoughts like these, like, are they crisis actors? You know, they just sort of hang in the air. And of course you see these characters pain and you know that that's not real in the you know world in the novel, but it's just like, these words are said, they're so painful and they just are allowed to like sit there, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I, it might be the best book I've read all year. Uh, I, I, we did our best books already, um, mm. and I think I mentioned this one on here, but it has really stuck with me more than anything. I've gone back and looked at it over and over again. I I have it on my um, on my Kindle, which does this really cool cinematic thing where it will expand into the full page. It does it does cinematic. I don't know what it's called. It's some sort of thing I paid a dollar extra for. But it does sort of cinematic representations of of individual panels, um, which makes it an even more profound read. But it touches on the isolation, desperation, malaise, and fear that the American um, experience has become. And also the interconnectivity that media has allowed that makes conspiracy and paranoia Run absolutely rampant um, in you know in the absence of answers for something that are definitive, chaos and conspiracy is always going to be the thing that a certain fringe part of society holds on to, and in Sabrina, this author who is also an amazing artist captures that with silence and then fills the page with these conspiracy theory talk radio shows in such an amazing way. I, I just couldn't stop reading it. I can't stop thinking about it and it it fucks you up because there's a certain point in this book at which you begin to believe the conspiracy because because people are weird right People are obsessive compulsive about things and there's a moment where you think, oh my god I think in fact that the airman uh, what's his name uh, Calvin Calvin he might just be. A conspiracy theorist himself because he's hoarding food and stuff um, but everyone's got weird things about them I, I, I it's amazing also the, most of, many of the characters are depicted laying in their underpants in bed yeah and I just want to give a shout out to the realistic representation of the male body. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I thought you were going to say the realistic representation of lying around in your underpants in bed, like
2: though well, that too. It's a
1: huge part of the.
2: Part. <laughs> it's a huge part of my life. Like if I, you know how um, your phone now tracks how much screen time you have, I would oh, like no, to have. Yeah. A, I'd like to have an app that tracks how much time does Todd spend in his underwear in bed.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's so. That's like probably that's such an important part point of the um, part of the art it really, um, it focuses on the body. Like it's about these people being real and having boring lives, banal Mm -hmm. lives and being naked and being kind of unattractively naked right? and just um, depressed and sitting on couches. Like there's one sequence where Calvin says, don't make fun of me and comes out in a slanket or a (laughs) a blanket. A snuggie, yes. A snuggie, that's what it's called, right? The the slanket was the uh, more generic version. The (laughs) off-brand snuggie, yes. Because there was was one Christmas when the snuggies came out and uh, my in-laws got it for all of us. So we all like sat around in our our slankets or snuggies. Um, So I still have one. But you know, I think that that's the, like the quintessential like e- to be in the presence of another human being wearing a snuggie uh, <laughs> is like something you don't plan on, you know, and you especially don't plan on reading that in a comic book, right? Like that's like the, the, the antithesis of comic books. Comic books are supposed to take visual, exciting violence, if anything, sex maybe, and supposed to like spice up real life and make it the most interesting read you can. And this book goes the exact opposite, and it starts with blank faces. People getting coffee, people carrying their cats from room to room, people staring out of windows, people listening to a radio show. There are like 20 pages of a radio, just a, just a shot up of a radio and a guy naked listening to it. Like that is anti comic book writing. Yeah. It is so profound because what, you know, so much of the message of this, this book is human being like these people have lives. These people have bodies. They have lives. They have lovers. They have thoughts. They have friends. They have childhood friends. They have shitty jobs. And if you if you take that away from them, if you remove their like personhood and their physical reality, you could it's so easy to say, oh, they're 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 crisis actors or oh, they were Uh faking it on that quote or oh, they, they don't really they're manipulating they're lying. And it's like we're we've all as a culture, we we're so easy to dismiss other human beings. I mean, like I know I do it right like onto the level of Trump voters, right? Like it's so easy for me to just think of your average Trump voter. As somebody that i don't understand who I have like a couple of images in my head, and it's out there, and i don 't really think about them as like people with real lives living their everyday experience and their shitty jobs and like this book is such a little empathy bomb to say like who whichever side of you know any situation, whether it's a murder um, that gets politicized in this case and um or just something you're hearing about on the radio like there's a human being on the other side of that experience a person yeah. that's, that's having to live that. And that like message, I haven't, I haven't felt that more profound in years than I did from this book. And I, and I think it's like such an important message for our time. Well, yeah. there's
1: this one scene that's like, I don't want to say climactic, but it's, it's a lot of the action centers around it where, um, Calvin throughout the book is like kind of avoiding dealing with everything, which anyone fucking would. You know, like his wife who hates him, his friend who's freaking out at his house and whether or not to take this like promotion at work. And he's just like, you feel his stress through the novel. And then he's like cornered in his own driveway and asked to give a statement. And he just sort of says something that sounds kind of right and is just trying to get out of it. And then that statement that he gives in five seconds is what's picked apart
2: um, for the rest of the novel. Right, so he um, he says the dead girl... So Sabrina's the name of the murdered young woman, and her sister's name is Sarah. And so he's being interviewed, you know, essentially ambushed on the street, and he calls Sabrina Sarah. And that essentially opens up the door to the wackadoodles of the world saying, you see that, you know, there's a, a glitch in the Matrix. He called her Sarah instead of Sabrina. So obviously she's not dead, or Sarah's really hurt. Like, it just... Every single bizarre, stupid conspiracy theory is taken from, you know, this guy who didn't know these people. That's the important thing. He doesn't know these people saying the wrong name. Um,
0: but he's in a military outfit. And so he's that ties right into the whole mm-hmm. conspiracy theory that it's a government thing. Right.
2: So, yeah. it's a, so I, I, Calvin himself works in a bunker in the in um, the built in the, the mountain range in North Dakota, right where NORAD is, is that where it is, North Dakota? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he works, you know, underground in a nuclear. It's a co-
0: shitty office job. Yeah, it just happens that he wears camo every day. He wears
2: camo every day, and he's <laughs> it's a shitty office job. And every single day, also, he has to fill out a mental health report, which is fascinating. Um, yes. But he has just the kind of mundane job that if you are a conspiracy theorist and you found out that X person works in the you know underground bunker for NORAD. Doing this and this and this, you'd think, oh, that's clearly a CIA agent who's in charge of running all the world's conspiracies. If only he had a Jewish last name, you would really be set. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, you know, I think the 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 smartest part about this book too is that the like the the parallels are obvious to like Parkland mm-hmm. um, theories, conspiracy theories that started. Sw- around Parkland. And and then the, the radio host oh, the man. speaks is so mm-hmm. clearly based on like an Alex Jones, like conspiracy figure. But what's so smart about this book is that it's not actually around like a guns rights issue right. or a liberal versus conservative. Like you could be a, a conservative and read this book and, 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 and agree with the message just as, as easily, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, he, he, he intentionally chose a sort of neutral murder That is kind of random and is horrifying, but ultimately meaningless. Um, It's not like a men's rights activist or a guns rights activist or, you know, it's just a sort of crazy person that does this murder. And it's trying it's that vacuum of meaning that gets filled by a radio host, by, you know, all these different figures. And he's so careful in the writing to avoid specifically saying, like the radio host never says like, this is a liberal conspiracy. This is what the left wing, he says something, he just says they, you know, this is right. what they don't want you to have. Yeah. And it's like, just generic enough that you could see the the uh, appeal almost on any side of the spectrum. You know, when, when you just want an enemy and you want truth so bad and you want to understand the media, when you, when you want to understand what's happening, you know, that you're hearing about or these videos you see online and you want to be critical of them. You're going to latch on to a you know somebody who rants and raves very well.
2: Well, here's a little just a little segment. This is from about the middle of the book, where um, Terry, the the boyfriend of the dead girl, is really starting to Teddy. listen. Teddy, I'm sorry, is starting to listen to this guy every single night. Um, and this is a, it's a it's a beautifully drawn um, page as well. Um, but I'll just read it, just a little bit of of the the radio announcer's dialogue. He says. There's been an overwhelmingly positive response to last night's show and the email I have here. Your support is truly appreciated. It's wonderful to see the lines of communication opening. I can feel this thing beginning to coalesce. No longer are we shut up in our homes, isolated and frightened. Take one lonely person clacking away at a keyboard, powerless. Put them all together and you have a force to be reckoned with that can move mountains. I don't think I have some divine right to be spokesperson. I float some ideas, comment on the world as I see it. It seems to resonate with some of you. Our numbers go up with each broadcast. Am I a typical American? More to the point, am I a typical human being? I would hope so. I have an unconditional love for my wife and girls, an almost primal need to protect them. I hold doors open for people and tip 20%. I would never be rude or condescending to anyone in the service industry trying to support a family on minimum wage. I don't like these bullies running around treating decent people like dispensable cogs. These guys take a waiter or a school teacher and stand on their necks until they're nearly suffocated. And he goes on like this with the sort of like, yeah, like these that that's a good point of view to have. Like right. it's don't us be, versus them. Us versus yeah. them. Yeah. And then he goes from that to a slowly devolving vast paranoia about them being, you know, a vast government conspiracy, essentially, that involves the murder of Sabrina. Um, and there's a point at which the radio host essentially says, you know, they're coming for us tomorrow. This is our last broadcast, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but as happens with these things, like I, when I was a kid, I used to listen to Art Bell all the time. And he was always, like, he wasn't as a, a conspiracy theorist. He was a
0: UFO guy. Yeah,
2: right? Yeah, he was like a lizard people guy. Oh, and, geez. you know, he'd come through on the AM radio, whatever, and it would always be like, the black helicopters will be coming to get me tomorrow. This is probably our last show. And then, of course, he'd be on the next uh-huh. night because he was just a guy with a radio show. Um, <laughs> but it, before it at that point, you know, I was like 11 when I was listening to Art Bell. But now these people are at the front and center of American geopolitical life. They are the Alex uh-huh. Joneses. And so when they say that they're coming Talk for us tomorrow, to of Fuck Tucker Carlson. I, I, Tucker Carlson shit's... <laughs>
0: well, let's it. Let's it. <laughs> Tucker Carlson shit standing up. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> Alex Jones is like a couple months ago. Now we're on to regular oh News people. Tucker, Carl- Tucker Carlson
2: <laughs> used to be a normal person. I don't know what but happened to This is Carlson. the thing,
0: though. Exactly what you just read in that... Qu- it's about ratings, right? right? It's about if you're just trying to uh, get eyeballs on your television show or ears to your radio show, the more crazy extremist stuff you say, you're going to get a bigger response and you're going to have to keep playing into that to keep that, you know, alive. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a a symptom of, you know, the reality is we live in an information age where paranoia is the normal state of things. Like we all are paranoid. That's like paranoia is no longer a private, um, feeling that doesn't make sense with the world. Paranoia is the way we make sense of the world. We have to make connections.
2: (laughs) I knew people were following me. I knew it.
0: No, because paranoia actually makes sense. Like you have a computer, you have a Facebook account, right? So is it paranoid to think that advertisers know what you click on? No, that's actually just the way the world is working these (laughs) days because they are connecting all of our lines of communication. And so we're in a position now where paranoia suddenly does make sense and then that's going to be co-opted by entertainers and sham, you know, uh, con men like our president, like they're going to tap into whatever paranoia they can that gives them power. And they'll say whatever it takes to just get those masses on their side. And it's like, holy shit, how do we break through this? Because unfortunately, so much of, you know, uh, you could just as easily on the liberal side of things respond by tapping into paranoia there. And it's dangerous. Like, how do we get back to where we can really understand each other in our you know snuggies on the. the- <laughs> and this is a great work of art to do that like I want to wrap this book up and give it to everybody for Christmas Just be like, yeah
2: Please. here mom <laughs> a, be
0: very depressed
2: here's a graphic novel mom about a murderer and a slanket like, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what though, those slankets are comfortable
0: <laughs>
2: it's a robe backwards <laughs> everyone should wear them um the other thing that Julia brought up earlier um, is the the spareness of the actual pages themselves. There's so many pages that are just a car driving down a street or a person staring into um, a blank nothingness. And it might at first feel like, oh, this is a nihilistic view of the world. But it's actually just a really, um, it's a really sort of stunning portrayal of thought and depression um, but also of yeah. winter, <laughs> there's, a, there's a real <laughs> sense of winter to all of this. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. The artwork is so, um, incredible too, because the, the faces are almost, um, they're so simple. They're so blank. Um, and when the, when the shots get farther away from, they actually almost disappear. Mm-hmm. So that people's, when you ever, whenever you have a, a medium shot, like basically knee, shoulders to knees or wider, they don't even have eyeballs anymore. You just, or you've sometimes a nose and it has this interesting, like, reducing effect. The farther you get away from the characters, the less human they seem. And so when a close-up uh-huh. comes and you're looking right into their face, you know, it, it's, it's the, the, the visual storytelling is saying get closer to people. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's saying uh-huh. the further you get away from people, you're losing who they actually are. And you're able to reduce them to generic uh, like stick figures and when you have to get closer to them. So the, the, the visual storytelling makes you desire to get closer to the characters, which is a really fascinating move.
2: Uh-huh. And everybody has terrible hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I was, I, I was thinking about this actually in comparison to um, uh, my friend Dahmer, um, which is drawn in such a completely like 180 degrees opposite effect you know there's the tiniest details are rendered in My Friend Dahmer you're up close to everybody's faces um you know you can see the lines in the woodwork in My Friend Dahmer and and both of them are dealing with um you know a lot of confusion and paranoia and and loss and that sort of thing um one obviously is about teenagers this is about people that are you know in their 30s or whatever. but in the same way, it is about the symptoms of rural or small town America that create the um, the idea that people that your next door neighbor could be the the you know a serial right. killer or isolation yeah right. which I find uh, true uh, because I've had neighbors on my streets who have been murderers um, but also uh, just a you know a really sort of um it, it, it is like a backlash to this idea of uh, suburbia being safe and the or that the wilderness is safe and suburbia is where the the maniacs are. Maniacs are everywhere. They're everywhere. You're not safe anywhere. That's why you should be paranoid. Um, <laughs> and there's also well, a lot of guns in this. Go ahead, Julia. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There, no, no, no. You're good. Um, there are a lot of guns in this. I feel like this book is so much about depression and anxiety. And one thing that we haven't talked about yet art wise is the color and how Mm -hmm. it it is at times monochromatic, not black and white, but just like tones of Brown or gray. Um, And it's like, you get the sense that these characters, especially the boyfriend who's just kind of living through this grief that he's not a part of any story. Like he's not on a trajectory. He's just fucking living through this brown gray area in this depressing house with his radio on. Like he's not trying to do anything. He does actually end up having a small arc, but he's just existing. And I think that's what is different about this book than my friend Dahmer is that it's not leading towards anything. You know, it's not leading towards any climax. It's just like, yes, I am living through this experience of, Everyone thinking that we're crisis actors, but I'm so depressed and having to deal with my grief that I can't like react to that in any way. I'm just sort of absorbing it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And 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 then the reader is absorbing it.
0: Yeah, go on. That's also reflected, like what you're describing is reflected perfectly in the way the graphic novel um, uses like primary sources within it. So like Calvin will be pick up a book and it will be a children's book. And he'll read it, and then the next two pages will be what he's looking at in the children's book. And they're, like, so colorful, mm-hmm. and just crowded. <laughs> and there's, like, character, and it's a completely different art style. And it blows your mind because you've been, like, sort of gotten used to this um, bland, flat, colorless look that you've been reading throughout the book. And then the same way the, the book... Um, jumps in on screenshots of people's computers or emails mm-hmm. and they're really detailed and well-written and you can sort of like lose yourself and, and the, you realize that like these people's lives exist so much in screens too. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's a lot about what this is about, right? Like all the different ways we seek connectivity with other people often is not another human face. It's a, it's a, a, a paranoid email that somebody's sending you or a death threat that somebody's sending you through, you know, the internet. Um, it reminded me, it's, it's, have you guys seen the movie Searching that came out earlier this year? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's gotten a lot of rave reviews and it's, it's a, it's a, it's similar in that there's a mystery and it's all, but the, it's a movie. The whole thing is told through a computer screen. Huh. So the movie opens on a computer screen and it's John Cho, who's an incredible actor. And it's mostly him. Sitting at this computer screen, FaceTiming, um, his daughter goes missing, and it's just him. Oh yeah, yeah. But the whole movie is like basically found footage from a computer screen, Um, and I was pretty disappointed in it. But a lot of people love it. But it's the opposite of this in that it's a similar sort of situation and a similar use of like the internet and questioning our connectivity and who we can trust. That is the like exploitative action murder mystery Mm. plot. You know, Mm. this is the one that says. That impulse to like, you know, think of the internet or think of sleuthing on the internet as like a, um, as a mystery, exciting, actiony Hardy boys, Nancy Drew thing (laughs) is like the problem, (laughs) you know, this book says we need to stop thinking of those situations as, as something that you can solve with, you know, you and your laptop and start thinking of it more about how can we connect with human beings before we even get to that disconnected state?
1: <laughs> yeah, like this this captures this captures so well. This has happened to me many times, um, because email is a huge part of my life. Like, have you guys ever been just going about your ordinary day and you look at your computer or your phone and you get some email that just like is horrible in some way, like a huge rejection or someone yelling at you, and you feel this like gut punch but you're still just in your regular life and it's the most surreal (laughs) feeling because you're not like arguing with a human being it's like one second I was sitting here feeling normal and now I'm like slammed with this emotion and this book shows that both in the radio and the email where you're just sitting there at your fucking work computer and then somebody's like you're your crazy whole actor.
0: life has changed right. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're still fucking sitting there surrounded by your dumb coworkers, and you just have to get through your hour day life and it's a horrible feeling i mean mm-hmm. it's the most it gives me some of the most existential dread i ever feel is when you know you have some like emotional thing happening through a screen but you're not with the person.
2: Right. Well, and there's a funny thing that this book does, which is it actually touches on that need for us to go out and express our stories and sort of share our pain because they actually actually show a moth-like storytelling series oh, in the middle of the book where sabrina's (laughs) sabrina's sister gets up to tell the story of oh like i went and saw my sister and we were talking about my mom's cat and then she was murdered like she tells this moth story and people are just like you know sitting there in their jackets and you know lightly clapping to the story but like that's become that's become another part of the grief process right like as much as um as much as anything else if you're a social person like Someone might say to you, oh my God, that terrible thing that happened. You should do the local storytelling series and tell everyone about it. And so and so, all of a sudden, like this this paralyzing grief that you have about something now becomes a, a thing where people are like, hey, Tuesday night, do you want to hear about paralyzing grief down at CT Improv? You know, they're doing a, they're doing a <laughs> moth show, you know? Yeah.
0: That, that does yeah. point to something that, that I was thinking about reading this book and then doing this book on a podcast is that um, it's, it, I think I, to be positive for a second about technology and where we're at, it is interesting that podcasts and radio shows have become so popular in this era in a way that I don't think anybody really predicted say in the early mm-hmm. aughts or like the late nineties. Um, and I think that there's something to that. I think there's something to like the fact that people like to listen to us and that we like to do this and talk is right. there, it, there's something about the human voice that's better than, a website or uh-huh. even just reading text on a screen and the fact that people i mean i love podcasts and i love listening to audiobooks for this very reason is that it cuz it, it it there's something human to that it, it, that connection that um that i crave you mm-hmm. know that that obviously our time spent on email or facebook is not satisfying like that kind of connectivity is not the same as the sort of in your ear sitting around talking, you know, listening to a human voice, that presence is still, we crave that. We need mm-hmm. that because uh, we're not getting it in our daily lives that much. We're not talking to each other. That much. Did,
2: did I tell you guys, I don't think I told you guys this. Um, one of our fans on Twitter a couple of weeks ago said, Hey, would you call and wish my friend um, a Merry Christmas? And I was like, yeah, send me her number. I'll call and wish your friend a Merry Christmas. And so this one of our listeners was like, "You're kidding me? You do this?" I was like, "Yeah, give me your number. I'll call her." And so she gives the number, and I call this young woman at her job, and I left a message. Hey, this is Todd Goldberg from the Disco. Your friend wanted me to wish you a Merry Christmas, so you know, Merry Christmas. And then she called. She called me back like three seconds later we had a lovely like 15 minute conversation where it sounded yeah, like so nice. it was it sounded like we knew each other because it turns out she's heard us talking about my life at least for you know 150 <laughs> hours so
0: listeners todd phone number, todd phone number
2: <laughs> but we had this we had this lovely conversation and she was really thankful about um how you know the three of us you know, talk about our lives, not just talk about books, but you know, talk about whatever good things or bad things or frailties are happening to us and, and about how literature affects us. And we hung up the phone and I was like, well that was one of the more gratifying phone conversations I've had in the last awesome. year. Because normally, yeah, <laughs> normally I just call someone and I'm like, Where's my fucking pizza? Or <laughs> you know why don't you have the thing that I need? Um, yeah. So, and listeners, we're not going to do it every day, but I was feeling I was feeling kind on that particular day. Um, but but I think it's part of what you're talking about, Ryder, which is that this the sound of the human voice in this time and, and place in our lives, where everything is coming at us through technology, and and everything is impersonalized to create rage, to actually. Talk to someone about the things that you care about all of a sudden means something different. And you see that in this book. Like when these people – even when these people have mundane conversations about uh, pizza or sandwiches or slankets or whatever, it sort of has the same calming effect of petting a dog when you have anxiety, you know, where all of a sudden you just feel a little bit better.
0: Yeah. All right. So that was Sabrina by Nick Dernasso, which I think I'm pronouncing correctly. D-R-N-A-S-O.
2: So good. Everyone you should so good. you should buy one of the one of the best books of 2018 for sure. One of the best graphic novels I've ever read without a doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah it's art. It's a piece of art.
2: It's a piece of art. Yes, mm-hmm. it absolutely is. Uh, and hey, if we don't talk to you guys before the holidays, you you have a happy whatever it is you celebrate.
1: Just enjoy the end of the year.
2: And the end of times.
1: Okay More books on paranoia for you